We live in very difficult times. When we look around us, we see an enormous amount of anti-Semitism. Not only that, not only is there anti-Semitism, but we witness tremendous amount of tragedies. Bankruptcies, divorces, young people who die. Many things seem to be happening, and we don't understand really why. Not only that, when we take a look at Jewish history, we go back and we examine Jewish history, and we try to understand how do we account for all these tragedies. Let's take a look at some of the tragedies. The Beis Hamikdash, the greatest place in the world, which was the Mokum, the place of the divine presence itself. Why were they destroyed? The first Beis Hamikdash and the second Beis Hamikdash. How do we understand this? Not only that, but the exile itself. We have been in exile for two thousand years. That is a very long time. None of us ever expected to be in Golis for two thousand years. So we think about these ideas and we say, why are we in Golis for so many thousands of years? Where is the Mashiach? How come the Mashiach hasn't come? What delays the coming of the Mashiach? These kind of ideas and questions can go on and on. Ultimately speaking, what we must seek is clarity and an understanding and an explanation to these many, many different questions. What I would like to do within the context of this year is try to answer these questions. But not only that, I would like to answer or to reveal other ideas. How? What is exactly the key to both worlds: the now, Olam Hazeh, and the hereafter, Olam Habo? What is the best way, really? That we can achieve happiness and a tremendous amount of satisfaction and meaning in this world. The answer to all these questions lies in a specific mitzvah, a mitzvah actually which we would never believe that it could it could be at the focal point of all these ideas. That mitzvah is called loshen hara, or rather shmir saloshen. The Torah enjoins us and says. That it is forbidden to speak loshen hara loiselech roch biyamecha. You should not go as a talebearer amongst your people. This mitzvah of loshen hara is really at the bedrock of all the events that happened to Klal Yisrael. But the question is why? How do we understand it? What I hope to do in this particular shir lecture is to inspire you, to give you information, to give you clarity as to why you have to be so careful. With speaking Lashon Hara, now what is Lashon Hara really? Fundamentally, it's the communications of harmful information, information which we know which can harm somebody, whether it can degrade him, whether it can damage him physically or monetarily, or not only that, but even information which can create hatred between one Jew and another. All of these are within the rubric of the concept called Lashon Hara. I hope to inspire you not to speak lashon hara. After you will have understood that the true power of speech is lashon hara, and that the idea of lashon hara, speaking information which is damaging or negative, in many ways is the fundamental principle that underlines the mystery of all these events that happens to Klal Yisrael. How do we know that lashon hara is important? Well, let's take a look. We know that if the Torah gives a tzivoy, a commandment, many times, then it's got to be important. Let's take Shabbos. The Torah commands us to observe Shabbos many times. 
So what we know, therefore, is that clearly Shabbos has to be important and serious to the Rabbanu Shalom himself. Why would he say a mitzvah so many times? Let's take a look at Lashon Hora. Lashon Hora is in the same category as Shabbos. Let's see how. Imagine you see somebody going to a restaurant and you say to yourself, wait a minute, what happened? And you know that this restaurant is not kosher. So you say to yourself, wait a minute, is this person really eating non-kosher food? So immediately God intervenes and gives you a mitzvah. But tzedek tish No, you cannot interpret this in a negative way. You must interpret this in a positive way. Perhaps he had to go in to make a phone call or whatever. Not that I'm not going into, can you go into a non-kosher restaurant to make a phone call? I'm not going into that. But clearly, God enjoins us, commands us. The Rebbe tells us that you have to fulfill a mitzvah called B'Tzedek Tishbet Amisecho, which means you have to, fulfill, you have to interpret uh, somebody, anybody's acts, in a positive manner, not a negative manner. This is the first commandment we encounter when we see a negative uh, idea, a negative event. What happens if I interpret it negatively? And I say, this person clearly went in to eat non-kosher food. So the Roshim immediately interferes again. And he says, listen, you interpreted this negatively, which you should not have done. Now I will tell you that it's forbidden to speak this information to anybody else. It is forbidden to communicate this harmful information, because clearly if you say it to somebody, it will degrade the person you are talking about. So therefore, there's a second tzivoy or mitzvah, that it is forbidden to speak about the information that you have now interpreted in a negative way. Let us assume that I violated this command, and not only did I interpret it negatively, but I even went so far as to tell it to somebody else what I saw. So then the Rebbeinu now leaves me and he now addresses the speaker and he says to him, listen, it is forbidden for you to listen to Lashon Hara. Let's assume now that I listen to Lashon Hara, a person listened to Lashon Hara, so the Rebbeinu doesn't give up. He says, listen, you now listen to something negative about a subject. I now command you that you also must judge this person favorably. That means that the mitzvah betzedek tishpat amisecho is not only on somebody who sees an event, but somebody who hears about an event about somebody else. So therefore, the listener also has a mitzvah of betzedek tishpat amisecho that he must also interpret the event in a positive way. But let's assume that listener interpreted negatively, just like the observer. So then the Bosham doesn't give up. He says to the listener, no, you must now not believe it. It is forbidden to believe the information that you have now interpreted negatively. This is astounding. The Bosham has interfered five times in communications, in the witnessing of an event and in the communications of that event in order to stop the flow of the harmful information, which of course is lush and horror. Why? Why would he do that? He should just say, listen, don't speak Lashon Hara. Clearly, for the Bosham to give different mitzvahs, four different mitzvahs, five different times, clearly indicates that to him, it is critical that you do not speak Lashon Hara. The question is why? What is the meaning of this? Well, I wish now to go into different dimensions that will explain why is it so important to the Rabbanu Shalom, why is it so important for us to observe this mitzvah? You will see that when you understand these ideas, 
you will be inspired not to speak Lashon Hara because you will realize that speaking, listening, or believing Lashon Hara is among the greatest of the tragedies that you can bring upon yourself. Let's take a look at the first dimension. If I went over to you and said, why are you hating this person? Why are you burning his car? Why are you destroying his house? What would you say to me? You'd say, what are you talking about? I'm not this kind of guy. I'm a nice guy. I would never maliciously and knowingly harm a person. But the truth is, that's exactly what you do. You're a masik. You harm somebody when you speak Lush and Har about them. Why? Because you've degraded the person to another individual, a listener. Or not only that, you perhaps have created animosity to the listener because if you say to the person, do you know what somebody said to you about you or do you know what somebody did to you? Clearly, there's a tremendous amount of hatred or animosity that this person will have toward the subject of the conversation. But you're a mazik. A mazik is a damage doer. You would never think that you do this. Because you think that being a mazik is if you harm the guy physically or his possessions, that's being a mazik, a damage doer. But if I speak about him? But the answer is no. Do you know that the greatest damage you can do to a person is to destroy his reputation? Because we exist, we live, we interact with people because of our reputation. So it comes out that if you speak Lashon Hara, you have done far more damage to him than if you'd have burnt his house down. Because at least with his house, hopefully he can rebuild it. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to, to build, to rebuild a destroyed reputation? Yes, you're a mazik if you talk Lashon Hara, which probably is shocking to you. So this is the first dimension we can understand why we should not speak Lashon Hara. Because we are really a mazik. We're destroying the guy. Why would we want to do this? Let's take a look at a higher dimension. And that is much more in the metaphysical. And you will see that the speak Lashon Hara brings in a tremendous amount of radical ideas Ideas which are frightening when you begin to realize that they exist. Let's take a look at them. When we daven, we say the concept of Vinu Malkinu. We refer to the Rebbeinu to God, as our father and our king. What's the difference between a father and a king? Well, a king, a melech, we are his subjects. That's how we relate to him. What is the nature of the relationship that will enable the king to be good to us? to reward us, that is obedience. If we observe, if we are obedient to the laws of the king, he will be merciful to us, he will reward us, and so on. But what happens if we don't? Then obviously he will punish us. So therefore the relationship, what determines the relationship, in terms of his behavior to us, between we, his subjects, and the king, is obedience to his will, the laws of the country. Ovinu, our father, Ovinu is a different concept. When you refer to somebody as a father, the Rabbanushim as a father, that means he loves us because we are his children. But love is unconditional. He always loves us because a father always loves a child. Even if he has to punish the child, he loves the child. Therefore, if we don't deserve something, then the father will be marachim, will be merciful to us. So when the Rabbanushim is our father, we hope, we can expect that he is merciful to us, that he will reward us even if we don't deserve it. What a difference between when the Bershom is our father and when he is our king. Clearly, we prefer a vinu. For instance, Rosh Hashanah, where the Rabbanu says that he is a king, we are frightened because we know that he will now examine our deeds to see were we obedient or were we not obedient. 
And of course, the consequences of that is if we will live or die, if we will have a good life or a very poor life for the coming year. So we don't want the Rabbanashim to be a melech, really. We want it to be ovino. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what determines this? What determines if the Rabbanashim is a melech to us, a king, or if he's an of, a father? And the answer is a very fundamental principle in the Torah. It's called midkeneged midah, measure for measure. What does that mean? That means that what happens to us depends on what we do ourselves. In other words, we are the true cause of the consequences of what happens to us. Let's take a look. If we love Jews, if we are concerned for their welfare, then we are a family. A mishpocha. If we are a family, then the Rebbeim says that he's a father because we're a family. And if he's a father, then he will be merciful to us. He will give us good things even if we don't deserve it. But what happens if we do not love each other? On the contrary, we speak Russian horror. We degrade each other. We create animosity and hatred amongst each other. In other words, we destroy the unity of Klai Yisrael. In other words, we are not a family. So the Bosham says to us, you, I am, you are not a family, therefore I am not your father. If I am not your father, then I am your melech, I am your king. And if I am your king, then my relationship in terms of what I do for you is predicated on your obedience to me. Are you good? Do you adhere to the laws or not? But this is terrible. Because many times we sin, we are chite, we do not adhere. But we have caused, because of our Lush and horror and the sinner that we have created among Jews and the degradation and the disunity that we have created, we have caused the Bershom to become an of to a melech. This is the consequences of speaking Lush and horror, which is clearly terrible. But if we do not speak Lush and horror, then we, on the contrary, we force the Avas Yisrael. And if we force the Avas Yisrael, we foster, we create the unity of the Jews. What happens? There's a tremendous chasam sefer in Parshas for Era, in the sefer of Shemois. And he says the following. It says in the post, I have heard their cries, and he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, I will take, you should take them out. This is what the Moshe says to Moshe Rabbeinu. So the chasam sefer says, well, what is sefer gam? He should just say, it's not a kosum shamati. I have heard their cries. Tells Moshe Rabbeinu, take them out. What's this vagam? And I also have heard their cries. That sounds like somebody has heard it before that, and I too have heard their cries. Who does the vagam refer to? And the Hassam Sefer says a tremendous concept. He says that when the Jews, after a while, they saw each one having tremendous sorrows. So what did they do? They started being mispalled to pray, not for themselves, but for the other Jews. So what happened is they displayed a tremendous amount of love and concern for the welfare of others. So the Bonsham says, if this is what you do, if you display love and tremendous concern for the Jews, and you hear each other, the cries of each other, then I also will hear your cries, because I, since you are a family, I'm your father, and if I'm your father, I will take you out, even though you don't deserve it. Even though you're in the, in the, in, in the, the goal is for 210 years and you should be for 400, but since you have displayed the quality of being a family, I am a father and I will take you out, even though you don't deserve it. So that's what it means. The gum and I also have heard, besides the Jewish people hearing each other and displaying love for each other, I also have heard it. So take a look. 
that because the Jews displayed tremendous harvest in Israel, they were actually redeemed from the terrible Golos of Egypt. Therefore, what do we see? That we determine the relationship between ourselves and the Rebbe And that relationship is so powerful that the Rebbe if he's in of, will do incredible things for us, even to redeem us in the midst of a terrible Golos. This then is a second dimension of Lushen Horror. That what Loshanah does is it moves or shifts the position of the Roshan from an Ov to a Melech, which is something which can be exceedingly detrimental to ourselves. Now there's a third dimension, which is very important for Jews to know. The Roshan created an Ishama. Where does the Ishama come from? The Ishama really, the soul of man, or the soul of the Jewish people, whatever, it's really the flip side of the Shechina. The Shechina, in many ways, is like a coin. Every coin has a head, and has a ta- has heads and tails. The Neshama also is the flip side of the Shechina. So the Rabbanu created the Neshama from the Shechina, and that is why it, it, there's a statement in Chazal that say that we are chelik lekai mal. that the Neshama is a chelik lekai. It means that the Neshama is really a chelik of the Shechina itself. But what the Rabbanisham did is he created the Neshama and he split it from the, the Shechina itself. This is called Knesset Israel. It's only one Neshama because the Rabbanisham really only created one Neshama. It's called the Grand Neshama. The only person in the history of the world to have this one Neshama is Odom Rishim. In fact, it's interesting that Chazal tell us that Odom Rishim was so great qualitatively, that the Malachim thought he was the Rabbanu Shlom and they started singing Shira to him. That's because whoever possesses a Neshama, certainly he who possesses the only Neshama, displays an awesome type of being. But what the Rabbanu then did is after he split the Neshama from the Shechina, he then split the Neshama itself into fragments. And he invested in each fragment a separate consciousness. So this is the second split. Then what the Bershom did is he took each neshama, which itself is a fragment, and he split that, giving one side masculinity or a zohar, and the second side femininity or a nekeva. Therefore we see that there are three great splits. The neshama from the Rabbanu Shalom, the neshama itself, and then in the neshama, from itself, the fragments of the neshama itself, and then the third split is that in the Neshama itself between Zohar and Ekeva. The objective of the Bria from Klai Yisrael, from the Jewish people, is really to undo all the splits. Because what the Ramon Shem introduced is what's called period or separation. But he doesn't want that ultimately. He wants to undo all the splits and to remove the separation of all these splits. How do we do it? Well, the first split between a Zohar and a Keva, the way to undo that, the way to remedy that, is called Zivog or Kiddushim. When a man marries a woman, the Neshamas join, and in that way, he undoes the split of the Neshama that was split into a Zohar and a Keva. A Jew to a Jew, how does the Jewish people, how do they undo the splits that was caused? And the answer is Avas Yisrael. That's right. The Pneumius, the underlying principle of Avas Yisrael, is that it allows the Jews to reunite with themselves. The concept of Achtos. Therefore, when the Jews display Avas Yisrael to each other, they unite together. The third split between the Jews and the Rabbanu Shalom, or between the Neshama, the Grand Neshama, and the Rabbanu Shalom, how is that achieved? That is achieved 
also to Avos Israel from Jew to Jew. It doesn't need a separate idea. It doesn't need a separate phenomenon. Why? Because when, a, when the Jews love each other, what happens is that automatically the Rabbi Hashem unites with them. As long as we love each other and we are united, the Rabbi Hashem is then mis'achid with Klai Yisrael. He joins the Jewish people the way it used to be. Therefore we see that fundamentally Avos Yisrael is the instrumentation that we employ to undo all the splits that the Rosh created at the beginning of creation. Where do we see that if the Jews love each other, that the Rosh automatically unites with them? We see this by Martin Torah. It says in the Torah, Vayichan Shom Yisrael Negedahor, that the Jews encamped next to the mountain to receive the Torah. Rashi points out that it says Vayichan, singular verb, it really should say Vayachnu Yisrael and the Jews encamped, which is a plural verb. Why does it say Vayichan? So Rashi mentions a tremendous concept because the Jews, when they stood at Har Sinai, they displayed unbelievable Avas Yisrael. The way Rashi says it, they were Keish Echod as one man. Why? Belev Echod, because they had one heart. They all loved each other. Therefore, as a result of this, the Rabbanu appeared to them be out, of, out of the consequences of that love. In other words, the Rosham himself automatically appears to Jews when the Jews love each other. But not only that, there's an interesting concept that the amount of Avas Yisrael that Jews display toward each other determines the amount of giloi or revelation that the Rosham exhibits when he reunites with the Jews. Since the Avas Yisrael and Matan Terum was the greatest Avas Yisrael that the Jews have ever seen or ever experienced. Therefore, the Gilu or the revelation of the Rebbeinu when he revealed himself to the Jewish people to give them the Torah was the greatest revelation that the world has ever known. And this was really, if you think about it, Mida Keneged Mida, measure for measure. Therefore, we see Avos Yisrael is critical to undo all the splits. Let's ask ourselves, what is the greatest destroyer of Avos Yisrael? And the answer is Lashon Hara. That's right. When you speak Lashon Hara, when you degrade one Jew to another Jew, what do you think happens? You think that Jew that heard the degradation of a subject of another Jew, you think he's going to have Avos Yisrael? Of course not. So therefore, Lashon Hara, by degrading people, destroys Avos Yisrael. Besides, it also creates tremendous sinner. Hatred or animosity. When you walk over to a person and you say to that person, do you know what that this person did to you or said to you? Then the one who listens will display an enormous amount of sinner. So it comes out that through your Lashon Hara, you have generated an enormous amount of Sinat Yisrael. But wait a minute, this is the exact opposite of what the Roshan wants. Therefore, Lashon Hara is the great destroyer of Avas Yisrael. And therefore the Achtus of Klai Yisrael, and that in and of itself is a terrible thing for the Jewish people. But what's even more critical is that it destroys the ability of the Jews to reunite spiritually, metaphysically. And it destroys the opportunity of the, Jew, of the Jews to reunite with the Rebbe himself. If we now understand this, we can now understand certain questions that we can have on certain Chazals. Let's take a look. There's a Gemara that says that there was an individual <clears throat> that came in front of Shammai and he said, I want to learn the entire Torah. So Shammai obviously thought he wasn't serious, so Shammai dismissed him. 
He then went to Hilo and he mentioned the same request that I want to learn the Torah standing on one leg, which clearly cannot be very long. So Hilo told him something very interesting. Remember, Hilo was answering his request to learn the entire Torah on one leg. So Hilo said that that which you despise, do not do to your chover, which is really the negative way of saying, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And Hilo said that this Zekar Godel, that this is the greatest soid in the Torah. But the question we have to ask is, wait a minute. I, it's true that you have to recognize is important, but is that the entire Torah? Is this the way Hillel would answer this particular individual? Why is Hillel using you have to recognize? I'm sure if anybody else would have been asked that question, we probably would have picked that the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is the major idea in the Torah. We would not have picked Yohafterecha Why did Hillel pick that? Was he exaggerating? And the answer is, of course not. Because we now understand that the major objective of creation is to remove the disunity, to remedy that period or that separation that the Roshim engendered in Kali Yisrael. The way to do that is through Avis Yisrael. Therefore, Avis Yisrael is the great instrument that Kali Yisrael has to undo all the splits, the separations that the Bereshim created in Kali Yisrael. Therefore, Hillel was right that which is the mitzvah of Avis Yisrael, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that is the great major way that the Jews reach the desired objective of reuniting the Neshama with all its parts, and that the Neshama itself reunites with the Shekhinah itself. Chazal tell us that there are three sins that if you are asked to transgress, to be over, there's a halacha, the law is Yehorik Yavo. Rather let yourself be killed than transgress these commandments. What are they? Giliat Royas, adultery, incest, Shvichas Domim, which is bloodshed, and Avedizara, which is idolatry. Did you ever wonder why how come these three sins have this unusually severe halacha or law that Yehorg Valyavo rather let yourself be killed than transgress? And the answer now becomes very obvious. Because if you remember, the major objective is to undo all the separations between Zohar and Ikeva, a male and female by marriage, between a Jew and a Jew through Avas Yisrael, and between the Jews and God through Avas Yisrael also. Think about that. Each one of these three Averas intensifies the splits. Not only does it not bring them together, but it actually intensifies it. How? Gilearias, incest or adultery, comes between a man and his wife. That creates the split of Zohar Nekeva. Shvichas Domen, murder. What greater display of Sinat Yisrael than it is to murder somebody? So therefore, that also intensifies the split between the Jews. And Avedah Zorah, idolatry, does that not intensify the split between God and the Jewish people when they worship another god, another idol? Of course it does. Therefore, what the Bershom says is, listen, that my desire for you to reunify is so great that these three sins, which actually intensify the split, Yehorik Yavo, rather let yourself be killed than transgress. This is a very critical understanding of the concept of Yehorik Yavo and why it applies to these three sins. Not only that, there's another question that we can answer. Chazal tell us that the first place of Mikdash was destroyed because of the three Averis Hamurs, because of these three sins. And the question is why? But we have the answer. Because if the objective is Achtus of Klai Yisrael and the Achtus of Klai Yisrael to the Shekhinah, 
and we now realize that these three sins on the contrary intensify the split, of course, once you intensify the split between the Jewish people of God, that means he will leave, which is the destruction of the first temple. What does all this? Lushen horror. This is clearly the major way that Jews feel terrible about one another and also creates tremendous animosity. And therefore we understand why is it that the second base of Mignus was destroyed not because of the three Averis, the, these three sins that one is commanded to give his life for, but the reason why the second temple was destroyed was because of Sinas Chinam. And the Chazal tell us, the Chovetz Chaim and many other people, that the Chet was really Russian horror. Why was the second base of Mignus destroyed because of Sinas Chinam, which was generated by Russian horror? And the answer to that is because Sinas Chinam in and of itself destroys the Achdus of Klai Yisrael. In fact, the Gemara notes that, that Sinas Chinam, basis hatred, is equal to in its power to destroy to the three sins that you are asked to allow yourself to be killed rather than transgress. Because Sinas Chinam, when a man hates his wife or a Jew hates a Jew, which automatically means the period of separation of the Jewish people, and therefore God separates from them, that one concept of Sinas Chinam replicates what all three Averis, Yehorek Vayava, what they do themselves. Therefore Sinas Chinam in and of itself, through Lashon Hara, is as powerful, and that's why it destroyed the second base of Migdosh, as the three Averis Chamuras, where you are obligated Yehorek Vayava. Let us now look at another dimension. And when we think of this dimension, it is really frightening. We know, the Gemara tells us, that the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, they all died within five weeks. Could you imagine? 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, this was the biggest yeshiva the world has ever seen. Why did they die? So the Chazal tell us, because, it said, because they were in Noagu covered Zebuzeh, that they didn't treat each other respectfully. This is what Chazal tell us. And it says that they died in the five weeks of Askara, which is a breathing disorder. So the Mashor in that place notes the following, that it says that if a person speaks Lashon Hara, they, can, they will die of Askara, a breathing disorder. Therefore he says that the real sin of the 24,000 students of Rebbe Akiva is because they spoke Lashon Hara, and that is the way they reflected Leinua Gukovet Zebuzeh. That is the way they expressed that they didn't honor each other because they spoke Lashon horror about this. And the Chovetz Chaim, of course, brings them down. But this is amazing. Do we understand what it means that the greatest yeshiva of all time evaporated in five weeks? Let's take a look. Imagine we're in heaven and we're watching the two angels battle each other out for what will happen to the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva because they speak Lashon Hara. Let's take a look at what the defending angel says. He says, wait a minute. He's begging the Rabbi or the court to say, do not do this. Why? Because remember, Rabbi Akiva is a Tana. A Tana is a certain level of greatness. Somebody who could write the Mishnah. He says that if Rabbi Akiva is a Tana, then all his students are Tanoim. But that means that 24,000 Tanoim were killed. This is what it means. And not only that, what is the repercussion that 24,000 Tanoim are killed? The terror that they would have generated. Could you imagine you walk into a bookstore and you see thousands and thousands of Svarim? Could you imagine how many more Svarim there would have been? Tens of thousands of Svarim had the students, the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva survived? 
Yes. So the Malach says, look at all the Torah that will be missing, that will be absent from Klai Yisrael until the Mashiach comes. Not only that, there's something else. And this is what the Malach is saying. There are two types of Gedolim you should know. There are two types of great scholars, great men, sages of Israel. There's a Talmud Chochem, there's a Godel, that in and of himself, he has great scholarship, tremendous Boki, tremendous Yedia Torah, Yedia Satira, which is fine. And therefore, he can teach many, many people and in many ways influence them. But there's a second kind of Godel. This type of Godel is not only a Godel, but he is involved in the transmission of Torah itself. He is critical to the fact that Torah is transmitted from generation to generation. Without him, the Torah does not proceed to the next generation. In fact, without him, the transmission process itself is broken. Who's an example? In the last generation, we had Rabbi Aaron Kotler, who was a classic example. If Rabbi Aaron Kotler had not survived Chas Vashom, the war, what would have been? All those yeshivas that he generated, that Lakewood has generated, all the spin-offs and so on that was generated because of Rabbi Aaron Kotler would not exist today. So what would be of Torah in America? Therefore, Rabbi Aaron Kotler was unique in that not only was he Godel Hador, greatest man in his generation, but he was pivotal to the transmission process itself. So the Malach says, listen, if you take Rabbi Akiva, if you take the 24,000 students and you kill them, What's going to happen to the Torah in the next generation? You will be endangering the transmission of Torah itself. And then there's the third concept. What is that? Because Rabbi Akiva, as great as he was, he was still human. What does that mean? Imagine a guy is 75 years old and it takes him that loss to amass a fortune of $100 million. Then somebody comes over to him and says, listen, I got a great real estate enterprise venture that I would like you to join. And he tells it to him, and this wealthy multimillionaire agrees to go with it. However, it was a bad investment, and this person loses $99 million in two weeks. What will happen to this person? Well, it's either a case of being, or rather taking, a massive dose of Prozac because his depression will be off the charts or he will commit suicide. It's one or the other. To take that which a man labored for his entire life, to destroy it overnight, literally, will destroy the person. So the Malach says, if you do this to Akiva, the man's an old man. You're going to take away a yeshiva of 24,000 students. Could you imagine what that's going to do to Rabbi Akiva? It may destroy him. And if it destroys him, then he will not be able to transmit the Torah himself to the next generation. Fortunately for us, of course, Rabbi Akiva was not who we are. And he was able to regenerate the Torah itself through the five Talmidim that he had. But nobody knew if this would happen. So the Malach says, you can't do this. On the other side is the Sultan, the great prosecuting attorney. And he says the following. He says, no, I will offer up my arguments while you must destroy them. Kill these students. What are they? First thing is that these are Tamidi Chachomim. These are Torah sages, all the students. They are being mavaz each other. Could you imagine one Talmud Chochem being mavaz another Talmud Chochem? How can we allow this? And not only that, a person who learns Torah at that caliber, one must give tremendous respect. 
If a person does not respect the Talmud Chacham, it shows that he himself does not understand the importance and the greatness of Torah. So if each of these students are, are not being mechabit one another, that means there's a lack of their understanding of what Torah does to a person, what the significance of Torah is. But I maintain that the last argument of the Sutton was the devastating argument, was the clincher. What was that? Because the Sutton said, listen, these are the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva. They are going to transmit the Torah. More important, they will be the model to their generation of what proper Torah observance is. Do you want Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people, to learn that it is permitted to speak Lashon Hara from these people? So the Barashim said, no, you are right. I cannot allow this, even though it means that the Torah may be jeopardized in terms of its transmission, even though it may mean that Rabbi Akiva may never be able to restore himself to the position where he could teach others. And even though it will mean that there will be an enormous absence of Torah in Klein's realm, I cannot allow these Talmudim that will be the models of their generation to teach the Jewish people that it is permitted to speak Lashon Hara and they died. Could you imagine the unbelievable tragedy? What did this? The answer is Lashon Hara. Could you imagine that Lashon Hara is so great that it destroyed the greatest yeshiva of all time, the 24,000 students of Rimea Kiva? You should know that should send a shudder down our spine because it shows that even those things which are dear to God Torah the Beis HaMikdosh all these things will be cancelled if the Jews do not have Avis Israel if the Jews will degrade each other and create this enormous amount of animosity toward each other in essence therefore the Bansham said it is better for me to destroy my Torah than to allow it to continue amongst people that speak Lashon Hara. Let us now take a look at another dimension, the fifth dimension of speaking Lashon Hara. What happens? But in many ways, what I'm about to say is even more pivotal, more fundamental, and therefore more significant than even the others that I spoke about before. We know that if we sin, we are judged. We know that we are judged by what's called the Bezen Shemaila, the heavenly tribunal. But when are we judged? When does the heavenly court judge us? Is it when the sin is done? And the answer is no. There's only one malach or angel that can invoke the judicial proceedings. This malach is the great makatreg. What do I mean? This malach is called the sotan. This sotan has three jobs. He's a yetzahara, means he enters our psyche and tries to tempt us to sin. If we, if he succeeds in tempting us to sin, he then prosecutes us. Yes, he's the great Makatrig or prosecuting attorney. He prosecutes us in front of the Bezdin, in front of the heavenly tribunal. If we are then found guilty, he then becomes what's called the Malachamavas, the angel of death. Not that he kills people, but that he is also responsible for the execution of the judgment itself. Therefore, we see something very important, that there is no judicial process without a kitrug, without a prosecution. But we have to ask ourselves, what initiates the, the kitrig itself? What starts the sotan to be makatrig on a person that did a sin? And the answer to that is something I had mentioned before. It is the principle called mida kenegin mida, measure for measure. What does that mean? Let's take a look. When you speak Lush and horror, what are you really doing? 
you are really condemning another individual, are you not? Therefore, measure for measure, God, what he has done is that he's instituted this fundamental principle. And that is that if we condemn another individual, if we harm another person because of lush and horror, then the Sultan has the right to condemn us in court. But his condemnation is really a prosecution. Measure for measure. What happens, therefore, is is that when a person speaks lush and horror, because of Mida Keneg and Mida, measure for measure, he actually invokes his own prosecution by the Sutton against himself. Every word that he says is an Issa of lush and horror, is a prohibition, violates the commandment of speaking lush and horror. Therefore, each Issa is a Kitrug or a prosecution. But that's incredible. Imagine, you get on the phone and in the space of one hour, you have spoken 500 words of Lush and Horror. But that means that you have been prosecuted 500 times. You have been judged 500 times. But this is incredible. Do you know what it means to be judged 500 times in the space of an hour? But that's exactly what happens. Not only this, Who is judged? It's not only the person who speaks, but it's also the person who listens. Because if somebody hears Lashon Hara, so there's also a meter connected, meter measure for measure. Because the court or Besden says that if he heard Lashon Hara, which is a condemnation of another person, then we want to hear condemnations against him, which is the kidruk of the prosecution of the Sultan. Not only is the listener prosecuted besides the speaker, but the subject of the conversation is also prosecuted. Why? Because of another concept called Ayn horror, evil eye. What is an evil eye? What an evil eye is simply is that if one Jew questions the position of another Jew, he is able to invoke a judicial investigation about that person to see if that person deserves his position. So therefore, an Ayn horror is what a person gives another person when he questions his position. It doesn't harm the person because that person may be found to have deserved everything that he has. But what it does do is it initiates a judicial investigation concerning that person's position. The problem is, is that most of the things we have is we have not because we deserve it. It's because the Rosham loves us and he gives it to us anyway. Therefore, if we are subject to the iron horror of another person, where he questions our position, and Besden, the court, investigates as to what whether we deserve it or not, what happens is most of the things we don't deserve, and as a result of that, we lose it. Because these things are given to us because God loves us anyway. What we see, therefore, is a terrible thing. Is that if you speak Lashon Hara about somebody else, not only are you judged, not only is the person who listens judged, but also the person you speak about. Why? Because 90% of all Ayn Horus of evil eyes are delivered through Lashon Hara. Because when you condemn a person, what you are essentially saying is that that person does not deserve to have what he has. What are the repercussions of this? It's terrible because on any given day, 90% of the Jewish people are being judged because either you are speaking Lashon Hara or you are listening to Lashon Hara or you are the subject of somebody else's conversation. Now we begin to understand why the Jewish people have such enormous tragedies. Where is the basis of this idea that Lashon Hara creates kitrug or prosecution? The Chofetz Chaim brings this down many times, dozens of times. And it's also brought down by Rabbi Chaim Vital, the great student of the Arizal. It's brought down also by the Dubna Magid, by many other Chazal. That the secret of the devastating impact of Lashon Hara is that it initiates the Kidrug of the prosecution against you. 
Ask yourself, why is it when you take a look around, people don't have muzzle? Listen, Jews do a great deal of mitzvahs, so therefore they should have much more muzzle than they have. Why don't they have the muzzle or the good fortune? And the answer is because the Lushan horror creates or initiates the judicial process. And since a person is in the midst of constant judicial inquiries, the muzzle that he should have had is never realized. We destroy our own muzzle because the Lushan horror always puts us in court. And as a result of that, the Sutton is removing that which we should deserve and constantly prosecuting us. And therefore, we are constantly being punished. This is why people have such poor muzzle and why they have such tragedies. What happens if a person does not speak Lashonara? This is an umbrella effect, protection. First idea is that if you do not speak, measure for measure, then the Sutton cannot speak against you. The Dubna Maggit says in his Sefer Oyel Yaakov that if a person does not speak Lashonara, it is almost impossible not totally impossible, but almost impossible for the Sutton to prosecute that person in Besden. This is what he says. If a person doesn't listen to Lashon Hara, then this is also midi connected, midi measure for measure, because the court says to the Sutton, listen, he doesn't listen to Lashon Hara. We do not want to listen to the Lashon Hara that you will say, which is a prosecution against this person, measure for measure. And not only that, but even if you are the subject of somebody's conversation, and therefore that person is giving you an eye in horror, then the Sutton can also not prosecute. Why? Because the Besden says to the Sutton, he does not listen to Lush and Horror. So we will not listen to the Lush and Horror, which is a prosecution that you are about to offer, measure for measure. Since he does not listen, we will not listen to you, even though he's the subject of somebody else's conversation. When we think about that, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it to speak Lashon Hara when we have now gone through these five dimensions of Lashon Hara? And the answer is, of course, it's not worth it. Why would anybody want to put himself in judgment, in harm's way, not only himself, but his family, just to get some satisfaction from hearing degrading news about somebody else? But wait a minute, there's another dimension. And this dimension is responsible for the enormous amount of tragedies that transpire to the Jewish people. How does it work? The Rabbanu Shalom, God sends forth a Shefa, which means a divine force. And this force creates and sustains all creation. Everybody's connected to God via this force, via a cable, so to speak. It's like an invisible cable that connects us to God. And we exist because the force comes from Him to us. Now, in the beginning, Odom Rishon was commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. But he ignored that advice. In fact, his task was to ignore the vice of the Nochosh, the Sutton, who was trying to tempt him to eat from that tree. But he ate from it anyway. Therefore, what the Bershom said to him is the following. Until now, your job was to ignore the vice of the Sutton, but you didn't. You gave him credibility, and therefore you gave him existence. The new job is that not only must you ignore his advice, but more importantly, you must, must destroy evil. You must destroy the Sutton himself. But wait a minute. How can we destroy the Sutton? He's a Malach. So what the Bershom did is he connected the cable which connects the Sutton to the Bershom because he is also connected to God in order to survive. He took that cable and he connected it to Odomarishim first and then we the Jewish people are connected afterwards to the Sutton. Therefore, 
what it resembles is like a Y, where the cable comes down from God, from the Rebbe Nishlanim, and one side goes into a Jew, the Jewish people, and the other side goes into the Sutton. The problem, however, is that there's only enough force or Shefa for one side to exist or to flourish. Clearly then, whoever gets the Shefa of Kedusha, the divine force, that person will flourish and survive. This is the problem. Now, therefore, we are really in a relationship of combat to the Sutton, because both he and us are vying for the same force. What determines which side gets the force? And the answer is mitzvahs. If we, the Jewish people, do mitzvahs, what happens is the force comes to us. And as a result of the fact that the force comes to us, we flourish, we survive, and a tremendous good comes to us. The other side is Sutton, he grows weak. And ultimately, if all the Jewish people do all the mitzvahs, he actually, literally, dies. What happens, however, if the Jewish people sin? Then what happens is, is that negative things happen to the Jewish people, where they weaken. The other side, the Sutton, grows strong, tremendously strong. What are the repercussions of this? We see that this really is a seesaw. It's what's called an inverse relationship. When we are great because we are getting the flow of holiness, he is weak. If we do not get the holiness because we sin, then he gets strong. We are really unequal in the level of existence that we have. Now, when does a Sutton get this flow of holiness if we sin? When we sin? No. He's got to wait until we are judged. Once we are judged and found guilty, then he can get this tremendous flow of holiness that would have come to us. This concept where he gets the flow of holiness that would have come to us is called Yenika, where he nourishes from our energy, our divine force. But what did I say before? That 90% of the way that we get into court and therefore he's able to prosecute us is if we speak Lashon Hara. Therefore the Sutton must get us to speak Lashon Hara. If we do not speak Lashon Hara, then we are not brought to court. And as a result of that, he is not able to nourish. And ultimately speaking, he dies, even if we have sins, which is remarkable. Therefore, we must speak Lashon Hara in order for him to survive. And by the way, that is why it's so difficult for us to stop speaking Lashon Hara, because he needs it to survive. And therefore, he's constantly tempting us to speak Lashon Hara. What do we see, therefore, is that as a result of this unusual connection to the Sutton, if we do not deserve it, then the Shefa, the Divine Holiness, is actually diverted to the Sutton. What does he do with it? He gives it or he empowers nations to destroy us as a result. But let's understand this even better. Klai Yisrael really has two interesting properties, and they derive this from the Rabbanu Shlom. It's called Ferris and Oiz. Beauty and might. What does that mean? Because the Shekhinah has two interesting properties, attributes, tferes and oiz, beauty and might. What does that mean? Beauty is chokhmah, incredible amount of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Oiz is might, or the ability to do, it's called the hatzlocha. The truth is that the Jewish people really should have both of these. But what happens is, is that when the Sutton takes our Shefa, he takes the Tferis and the Oiz of the Jews. That means what we really do is not only do we lose our Tferis and Oiz, not only do we lose our Chokhmah, our wisdom, our knowledge, and our Hatzlocha, 
our success, but we give it to the Satan and he gives it to the Goyim. Therefore, what we begin to understand is the true tragedy of Klai Yisrael is not only that we've lost these properties or these attributes, but we've given it to the Satan to give to the Goyim to destroy us. Where do we see this? Because it says in the davening, How long will your might be in captivity and your beauty in the hands of the enemy? What does this pasuk refer to? It refers to the fact that we give the Satan enormous amount of energy that we really should get ourselves because of our Lashon Hara, and it's now in the hands of the Satan, this Tferis V'oiz, the beauty and the might, which is the Hatzlocha, and he gives it to the Goyim. Did you ever walk around Manhattan? Did you ever take a look at the magnificence of the way it looks? Did you ever compare, unfortunately, the institutions of higher learning, the colleges, and to see the beauty that they have? And when we take a look at the yeshiva structure or many of the shuls, they look so dilapidated. What is, what is going on? Did you ever see that the ones who are have the power now, are really the Goyim and the Jews on the contrary subservient to them? Why is that? And the answer is because we give them the Chochmah, the beauty, the wisdom, and we give them the Hatzlocha, the might. This is the way we suffer as a result of the fact that our Lashon Hora has allowed the Satan to be unique, to take from our Kedusha, our holiness. This is the real tragedy of Tishabov. And this is the tragedy in general of the Jewish people. I am now about to talk about the seventh dimension. And let me tell you something. If you think you've heard frightening information until now, the seventh dimension will have your hair stand up on your head. Why? Because it has enormous impact on us. Do you ever wonder, why is it I daven day in and day out for years? And it seems like the Rav doesn't even listen to me. Many of my tefillahs that I do or say, nothing happens. What is the problem here? And it's not because I'm insincere. I am sincere. So why is it so much of what we ask for is really not answered? And the answer to this is a frightening concept. The Chofetz Chaim says the following. He quotes a Zoya. He says this, and he's quoting a Zoya. Mi hora. Whoever speaks Lashon Hora... His tefillah does not enter before God. Why? Because he, in, he covers it, he envelops it with a tremendous contamination. A ruach tumor, a spirit of unholiness, pollution or contamination. Could you imagine what that means? That if a person speaks Lashon horror, he contaminates his tefillah. And once it feels is contaminated, the Bonsham doesn't listen to it, even if it's sincere because it's contaminated. Lest you think this is the only problem that we have, let me quote you another Chovetz Chaim. Here's what the Chovetz Chaim says. Listen carefully, because this has to apply to every single Jew who learns Torah. Certainly to the Bnei Torah, the yeshiva students who learn it all day long. And certainly to the people who learn Daf Yomi. Listen carefully. He quotes, this is what he says. Kain hu hadover hazeh. This is also this matter. Mi shepiv posuach tomid. V'einoi makbir al atzmoi. Somebody whose mouth is always open to speak Lashon Hara. And he doesn't heed to be careful. 
אפילו אם ילמד כל שישה סדרי משנה, even if a person learns the entire שישה סדרי משנה, all 4,000 משנאיות, over, all six orders of the משנה, וכל השאס, and he learns the entire שאס, 2,711 blood, come upon him many times. When he goes up to heaven after he dies, he will not find not even one word of Gomorrah that should protect him. He calls every single piece of Torah that he learned. There's a tremendous spirit of contamination or pollution that envelops it. And it is absolutely repugnant To look at it. Not only that, the Chavetz Chaim says even more, even with greater strong emphasis. This is why we say at the end of Shemona Esrei, God, please guard my tongue from speaking evil. Why do we say this? And then we say, open my heart, your, my heart to Torah, because he says that if you speak Lashon Hara, you've contaminated the Torah itself, as previously mentioned, And therefore, we ask that we should not speak Lashon Hara, then we ask that he should allow us to learn Torah. Because if we don't speak Lashon Hara, this is what the Chofetz Chaim says, and I'm quoting him. If you do not stop speaking Lashon Hara, your Torah is worthless. Did you ever hear such a statement before? It's incredible. Imagine, a guy dies and he finished Shas many times. Right? Mishnayis and Halochis and Shedis and Chuvis and Shas, etc. So he figures when he gets up there, hua, they're going to open up a red carpet, right? From here to there. Because is this a Kleinakite? Could you imagine a guy finished Shas many times? What the reward is? He gets up to Shemayim and they all look at him and they say to him, What do you want? So he says to them, What do you mean what I want? I'm here because of all the terror. I'm here to collect. He says, collect, collect what? He says, what are you talking about, collect what? I've got thousands of blood Gemara, thousands of hours that I put in. So they tell him, excuse me, did you ever take a look at the Torah that you've learned? So he says, no, what do you mean? He says, do you remember all the Lashon horror you spoke? All the people that you destroyed, damaged, all the hate that you created be- between Jews? Do you know that the Sutton, as a result of that, was able to contaminate every word you said? And as a result of this, your Torah is enveloped or saturated with a spirit of pollution. Therefore, your Torah is worthless. In fact, we can't even look at it. Could you imagine the look on that man's face? But this is what the Chofetz Chaim says. That Lashon Hara destroys the worth of Torah. Do you realize what that means? Imagine a guy in Tafyomi gets up seven and a half years and he goes to Shas 2,711 blood. And not only that, but in the end he joins the Aguda Convention where he celebrates the completion of Shas and he says to himself, could you imagine the reward I will get for going through Shas so many years, the labor of getting up so early? And when he gets up there, he finds that his terror is worthless? Could you imagine the shock, the astonishment on this person's face? No, we can't imagine. But this is what the Chofetz Chaim says, and the Chofetz Chaim does not exaggerate. The question really is, is why? Why is it that if we speak Lashon Hara, 
our Torah is worthless and our tefillah doesn't even enter before the Rebbe Shalom. How is it possible that the Sotan has the ability to enclose our Torah and our tefillahs with what's called this Ruach Toma, this spirit of contamination and pollution that makes it unavailable to us in Ulam Habor? I will tell you, it's based on certain ideas in Kabbalah, only a couple of ideas which you must know, but remember, this is critical to you. In fact, this is the same idea as this. Imagine a guy invests in the business for years and he puts it into a bank, but little does he know that the bank is, has a hole in it and all the money that he uses is dropping out of it. So the guy realizes years later, he says, wait a minute, what was the point of all the investment and the years that I studied on Wall Street trying to figure out what the best investments are when I've lost all the money? I have not invested or I have not put any energy into preserving that investment. This is what the Chofetz Chaim is saying. You know, we spend all the years in tefillah and, and, and terror and so on, but we forget that the most important thing to do is to preserve that which we have. Lush and horror is like taking a bunch of worms on top of food and exposing it to the worms where the worms eat every last morsel, even though you spent hours cooking the dish. How do we understand this? These are the ideas that you must know. First, let me give you the analogy. First analogy. Imagine there's rain in clouds. This rain pours into the earth and it's collected into a reservoir. The reservoir now contains pipes that brings it to your home and brings it all the way up to the faucet and it stops. You must open the faucet in order to allow the water to pour into the vessel. In many ways, this is a good analogy of how to understand the force or the divine energy or flow of holiness that God brings from himself to us. The Roshim created the world using ten forces. The Roshim can be compared to the rain. He is the source of all the energy or force, the Shefa of Kedusha. However, what he does is he creates ten forces and these are the conduits that bring it to us. In what manner? The first three of the ten can be compared to the reservoir which collects all that enormous amount of rain or divine energy or Kedusha. Then after that, the next six is equivalent to the pipes, to the home and to the faucet. In fact, the sixth uh, sphera, and that's what it's called in Kabbalah, is called Yesoid of the last seven. And this really is like the faucet. This Yesoid sphera called Yesoid, this is what gives us the energy and it pours into the tenth, which is called Malchus, and that creates the entire Ulam Hazer, this world. Now, clearly then, the pivotal position of these ten forces is the ninth. Because if the faucet in the analogy is closed, no water will pour into the tenth. If, however, the faucet is open, then tremendous amount of water pours. The same thing with the ninth force. If the ninth force or the ninth sphere, which is called Yesoid, is open, then the energy pours into Malchus, which is our world, and enormously benefits us and energizes us with this enormous chef of Kedusha. If, however, the force is closed or the force is diminished to a trickle, we suffer enormously because the entire state of existence, the quality is determined by the amount of force that goes from the ninth sphere, Yesoid, into the tenth, which is called Malchus. Now, the human body is a model of those ten forces without getting into the details. What does that mean? That means that the human form represents or is a parallel to those ten forces. Not only that, but 
Besides the fact that the human body is the model, there's also something else which is unique. The human body is also a trigger for those forces. When a person does a mitzvah with a certain organ, that opens up its parallel area in the ten forces that allows Kedusha to flow to Yisoyed into Malchus. From the foundation, the uh, sphere of the ninth sphere, which is Yisoyed, into Malchus, which is this world. Therefore, the human anatomy is not only a parallel structure to the structure of the ten spheres, but it is also the triggering device using the mitzvahs of those ten spheres also. Now, besides the fact that the entire body represents the ten, the head itself represents the ten forces on at even a higher level. Therefore, if you think about it, the mouth and the tongue, those organs, represent the Esoid and Malchus in the spheres. That's right. Which is really the analogy of the faucet into the vessel. Therefore, the faucet into the vessel, which is the ninth sphere of Yesoid into the tenth sphere of Malchus, is represented by the mouth and the tongue. Imagine, a person speaks Lashon Hara. As a result of the Lashon Hara, he speaks with what? With the organ called the mouth and the tongue. Because he uses that organ to speak Lashon Hara, then the parallel organ in the spheres, which is Yisoyed Malchus, is enormously contaminated by the Sutton. Just like the Sutton contaminates your mouth, which speaks Lashon Hara, the parallel to that in the spheres is Yisoyed Malchus. Therefore, the Yisoyed, even if it gives water or its divine energy, even though it gives that energy, it is contaminated with the spirit of defilement of the Sutton. In many ways, it's like a faucet that is filled with rust. Even though water can pour out of the faucet, but all the, the entire water will be filled with rust. Same concept. The force of energy that comes out of Yisoyed is filled with the contamination of the Sutton from Yisoyed into Malchus as a result of the fact that he has used his mouth and his tongue to speak Lashon Hara. But not only that, think about it. Tefillah and Torah, what organ do we use? The organs we use to daven and the organs we use to learn is the mouth and the tongue. Therefore, especially Torah and Tefillah is affected by the contamination of, through the Lashon Hara on the mouth and the tongue. The Yisoyed Malchus is enormously affected by that organ on the mitzvahs that are used by that organ. Therefore, the Torah and the Tefillah has an enormous amount of spiritual impurity, contaminants, and defilement, and pollution. Therefore, when we learn, and we daven, and we speak Lashon Hara, very little of it gets through without this terrible contamination. And therefore, this Tefillah is not listened to by the Rebbe as I quoted before from the Zoyam, and the Torah does not protect you, and it's worthless in its ability to give you merit in Ulam Habo. What do we do then? What about all the Torah we learned? So the Chazal tell us that if we do tshuva, if we repent, then all the tumor that is envelops the Torah and the tefillah is removed. Therefore, there's a real remedy. Think about that. Every yeshiva guy who learns, every balabas that learns dafyomi, every balabas that learns Torah, all of us who daven have to be concerned about the contamination that we do to the tefillah and the contamination we do to the Torah itself. Do not be like that person who after he dies after 75 years finds out that all the Torah and the tefillah that he did is fundamentally worthless.
We must do tshuva now. And we must stop speaking Lashon Hara because effectively we destroy the Torah itself. Let me conclude by bringing down the words of the Vilna Goyen. If you were living next to the Vilna Goyen and you went into his house and you asked him a question and said, listen, what's it all about? Tell me, what do I have to do? What's the essence of getting Olam Habor? Would you listen to the Vilna Goyen? I'm sure you would, right? Let me tell you what the Vilna Goyen says about the essential instrument that will get you Olam Habor more than anything else of all the mitzvahs. The Vilna Goyen says the following, Ho'iko, the major idea, the essential element or way, Liskois Le'ulam Habob to merit the future world is Bishmiras Piv, is watching what you say, guarding your tongue, especially from speaking Lashon Hara. But listen to what he says, Vezeh, Vezehu, and this concept of Shmiras Peh as being the essential way of gaining Olam Habo is Yoiser, is more Mikola Torah than the entire Torah. Vyamaisim, and all the acts that you do. In other words, the concept of being Shema Piv to get Olam Habo is more essential than all the Torah you will ever learn and all the Maisim Tovim, all the Chesed that you will ever do. In fact, more than all the mitzvahs. Why? And he says, because the mouth and what comes out of it is the holy of holies to God. And just like the Kodesh HaKadoshim is the holiest place on earth, that even Malochim, angels, could not go through, Shmiras Piv is Kodesh Kadoshim. it is the essence of what God wants. And we now understand all this because of what I've said previously. And if you ask me, well, what does a person get if he Shmiras Loshim? So besides all the things I've mentioned, the muzzle and the brocha, and no ketrugim, no prosecutions, and in, in, in creates Avis Israel. Besides all of that, listen to what the Vilna Goyen says. He says this: Shall call rega verega every second. Shodum choisim piv that a man closes his mouth, guards his tongue, especially from speaking lashon hara. Zoichali or hagonas, he merits the sea. A concealed light, which by the way is the light of the Mashiach and ultimately the light of Olam Habo. It is the reward that we're all waiting for. She'ain kol malach that no angel and no creature, Yecholim Mashiach, can possibly estimate or understand. And I want to tell you something. Angels are pretty smart. There are malachim that have IQs that are off the charts. Can you imagine being Zoycha, meriting a reward that they cannot comprehend for observing the midst of Shmir's Halashim even for one second. Now you understand why the Rebbeinu gave four different mitzvahs at five different times in the communications process not to speak Lashon Hara. Why he was so vigilant and why it's so significant to him that you do not speak Lashon Hara. Because look at all the seven dimensions that I have mentioned. Think about that. And I want to tell you something. The truth is you can speak much more elaborately on each one. And I have really been makatsa. I have spoken briefly about this to be able to fit it in one sheer. Take a look. Ask yourself, is it worth it? Of course not. Think about that. You speak Lashon Hara. You invoke prosecutions. You destroy Avas Yisrael. Not only that, you give energy to the Sultan to destroy Klai Yisrael through the nations of the world. You give away our Tferis and our Oiz. You give away our beauty and our might success, which we should have. You destroy your Torah because you contaminate it. And you destroy your Tefillah. It's ineffective. 
And could you imagine if you do not speak Lashon Hara, what happens? I want to tell you something. In the end, it's really like this. Imagine a king is walking by a lake. And in that lake, his wife and his children are in a rowboat. And they're boating. And all of a sudden, a great storm comes up and overturns the boat. And the boat starts sinking, which is incredible, which means all the people in the boat are drowning. So the king is watching his royal family drown in front of him. And he doesn't know what to do. So he sees one of his soldiers at the other side of the lake because he can't possibly get to it because he's too far away. He screams out, save my family. And that officer jumps in and saves the family, the royal family. What do you think this king is going to give this person? Is he going to give merely a reward because he listened to the command of the king? Of course not. He saved the family of the king. The reward is inestimable. The same thing. When you don't talk Lashon Hara, not only do you save yourself from Kitrugim, from prosecutions, you restore your muzzle. Not only is it that, but you also save the Jewish people from all the tremendous tragedies that they go through because you weaken the Sutton. And you destroy him. This is what happens. Think about it carefully. Lashon Hara truly is the greatest devastating sin known to the Jews. There is no equal to this sin. And that's what the Vilna Goin meant. That the main way to get to Olam Haba is through Shmir Saper, is through Lashon Hara. But remember one thing. In order to properly observe the mitzvah of Lashon Hara, of Shmir Saloshan, you must learn the laws. If you do not learn the laws, then you will not know how to observe this mitzvah properly because the laws are very complex, which means they're very numerous and they are intricate because many laws can apply to one situation. Therefore, you must learn the laws to be completely familiar with what to do in any given situation. Let us hope that this year, Tavshin Samach Vav, that this year, as a result of clients will not speak Nashon Hara, that they will restore the greatness of the Jewish people and bring the Mashiach, and truly, as a result of the Avas Yisrael, allow the Rabbanu to reunite with the Jewish people. What a day that would be.